my family was a lot of money, but bankrupt spiritually on the inside, up and out. Hi, everyone. This is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time. But with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Bear Crawl with Dads. And I've been waiting for this chat, if you will, for quite a long time. And I'm proud to have a good buddy of mine, Steve. How you doing, Steve? Hey, Ross. I'm doing great. Tell me how you're doing. Fantastic as the Saints won. But we're not going to get into the Cowboys-Saints rivalry. We're not going there. But seriously, thanks for your willingness to hang out and do this bear crawl. As you know, I'm leveraging this podcast because as a new older dad, I'm going to those that have walked before me as a dad to kind of, you know, give me some inside scoop, give me some tricks of the trade. And and my hope that, you know, for those listeners out there, you know, that they can pick apart some little nugget that may uh, help them on this journey of being a dad. So with that, Steve, real quickly, it kind of segue into our, our conversation. There's a New York Times article on September 29 of this year called The Crisis of Men and Boys. So I kind of want to start off our conversation with a couple of numbers, just kind of what men and, and boys are struggling with. Number one, in the workplace. The article highlights that one in three men only have a high school diploma. Right now, 10 million men are out of the labor force. About, let's see, physically, men account for close to three out of every four deaths of despair, as they call it, which would be like suicide or drug overdoses. When it comes to education, by high school, two-thirds of the students in the top 10% of the class ranked by GPA are girls, while roughly two-thirds of the students at the lowest decile are boys. So needless to say, you know, men and boys are struggling out there. But I wanted to start off that Two is that stats are showing that, you know, so much of this comes out of, you know, single parenting or maybe, you know, not a father in the household. So real quickly with you, tell us the audience about you first. What do you do? And then we want to hear about your father. And so what, what do you do? Yeah. Well, I'm a pastor at a church in the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, Metroplex called Milestone Church. I'm in my, in fact, I'm really uh, almost to the week. I'm about to start uh, my seventh year. So I lead all of our pastoral care, which includes everything, counseling, pre-marriage counseling, crisis counseling, everything, water baptism, everything prayer. We have a really, really cool Monday night environment we call Restore. It's for adults. We say if you're walking through a past hurt or a current struggle, Restore is for you. We're teaching relationship with Jesus, in some cases, reteaching it and just anchoring them with some really cool, in, in this case, segregated by men and women. So for men, some really cool guys that just, you know, will walk with, love on and make these guys their priority. Same thing with the lady. So really what I do, coaching, investing, making champions of people, especially those that maybe had kind of gotten off track a little bit. And so that's my role. Ministry in the church since uh, 1995. So for a good while. My dad is still alive. I have a close relationship with my dad and my mom. 
My dad lives a little bit further away now. He's in the hill country, so a few hours away. But we talk weekly, sometimes multiple times a week. And he is maybe a little bit like a lot of dads, to some extent, maybe a little bit like your dad. You know, I don't think you, today you retire anymore. My dad's retired about three times. He was a banker and then hit a real hard patch when my family, all of us, my mom and dad, my little brother and I, all started following the Lord together. We were up and out up until that point. Spiritually bankrupt, but in 1988, at a church service at a First Baptist Church in Grapevine, God got a hold of all of us, and so that was phenomenal. Never been the same since, but it was kind of a, a long season of my dad started kind of did a 180 from a financial standpoint. But anyhow, they're very active in their church. My dad, in fact, is on the pastoral team. Hey. Um, for, first time in, you know, kind of local church ministry to this degree. And, he, hey. and he's working with uh, a lot of new people at their church and helping them kind of connect in the church and get plugged in. So yeah, it's a little bit about me, a little bit about my dad. Well, that's awesome. So what a legacy that, you know, he's left, obviously, with that pivot, with how God's rock Charles world back in the late 80s. And obviously with your job, you're on the front lines, maybe, or in the trenches with a lot of families. And, you know, again, I want to get back to some of those stats, but if you're seeing any of that, if you're hearing any rumbling of that as you're wa- walking with families or dads in your ministry, you're at your local church. With that, the change that happened in your family, was there like any advice or something that your dad, that he imparted in you or any traditions or rituals that you kind of look back on that was really meaningful? full? Yeah. Well, you know, you're right, Ross, and that really, by and large, I mean, my dad kind of started the generational blessing of following Christ when we all said, yes, it started. And so he really didn't have anything to fall back on. I never knew his dad. I knew his mother. I knew my grandmother. Mm-hmm. But there was not really a faith background. That was a very different generation as well. And I think alcohol was a large part of my family. On your dad's side? On my dad's side, yeah, with his father. And so it was, I think there was some really tough times. My dad was born in 44. So the, that 50s upbringing was kind of, you know, men were the providers. The wives were at home. Yeah, generally, uh, men didn't really share a lot of emotion. You know, it wasn't a lot of I love you. That's changed a lot, I think, in our day. But that's a lot of what my dad inherited. And then to not have the faith standpoint in it, when we all said yes, it was like a blank canvas. So my dad really, I think, did a very good job of having like this, having men in his life in 1988 and beyond that did have that foundation. I've heard stories of him, men saying to my dad, have you ever tithed? My dad kind of just never really was a tither. He was a tipper. You know, tip God every now and then. And that was a massive deal when my dad decided to tie them that we had to sell our lake house. But I'm so glad he did that. I wasn't as much at the time. Man, the rearview mirror, I'm really glad. So to your question about, you know, any rituals, that sort of thing. I think my dad is a big teaser, a big joker. And I think early on, there wasn't a lot of I love you because that he wasn't, didn't happen in his family, but he would joke and laugh a lot. And he's a big kidder and, and you felt love that way. But as time has gone on and we've gotten older, that's mm-hmm. been something that he's really, man, you know, he's expressed his feel, his love for me. I think my dad, just that he said yes to the Lord, that was so significant. I'm so glad he did. Mm-hmm. My dad did a really good job of staying really level-headed when my little brother and I were off the chart. And just in a moment, my dad, you know, we were manipulative or fighting each other. I remember a lot of my dad just being level-headed. It's still to this day. And uh, just, you know, he loves to coach and 
we have a saying, he'll do a lot of, hey, I'm not telling you what to do, but if I were you, which is code for this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. So we laugh at that a lot. But no, my dad's a great dad. And I think our relationship's gotten stronger as time has gone on. That's awesome. That's awesome. What a tribute to your dad. So really, like like you said, kind of maybe that generation not really missing hearing the verbal I love you, which is kind of the same, I would say, a little bit too with me. But the connection was more the the joking. Maybe that was his way of at the time. I think a little that fair that, just to say maybe that's his way to, to yeah to show it that really was. I think it really was. Sometimes that teasing was kind of teasing, but I never questioned if my dad loved me. I knew he did. And I never questioned if he was proud of me. Right. Growing up, I knew that he was. And then he was a lot of games. He coached a lot of my teams. Mm -hmm. That part I remember too. I'm glad you brought that up actually, because I was talking to another on another uh, show and my guest brought that up, you know, with his dad, man of few words, kind of a gentle giant, but his presence just being there at all his games was kind of his way of, of showing love. And so a little bit of a tangent, I think so many times, I don't know about you, you know, it's like we're looking our kind of our parents or our father for those, you know, or that father figure or, pa- or mother figure. You know, we kind of mimic them. We were looking to them for acceptance. We're looking to them for approval. And so, so I'm curious kind of where I'm going with this is, for example, my dad was big into running, big into fitness. He started the first Galveston here in Texas, Galveston's first marathon, right? So he started that. So until he blew out his ankle where he couldn't really run anymore. But that was my way of connecting with my dad was through physical exercise or I wanted to be like him, right? So my wife, her way of connecting with her dad was through music. And so even some of the music that she still loves today, it's a byproduct because that's what her dad really, really liked, right? And that was her way of connecting with her father. And knowing you after all these years with your sense of humor, do you feel like when you reflect a little bit, is that your connection with your dad? Is it the humor yeah, I think the circuits connection are like those things that we share interest in. You think about college football, we like the same team. Okay. That's conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. You know that on the weekend, if we talk, we're going to talk about the game. It's pretty surface. Sure. But it's conversation and we can relate. And we'll talk about church. He'll talk about what's happening in his church, stuff that he's got his hands on. Mm-hmm. His pastor was in the college group when my wife and I were right out of seminary. So we have a mutual love for his pastor. and But then I think probably if you look at like maybe more kind of below the surface, you're talking about like your love for running because your dad loved running. Yeah, I, I think humor. I saw the benefit of my dad in the extended family was so funny and how people were drawn to that. And I don't know if I emulated that or just kind of like maybe it's more DNA, but there was a time where maybe I took a little bit, kind of that mantle, you know. Uh, yep kind of, okay, he's now kind of the funny guy, or, or he's just like his dad was when he was that age. My dad played college baseball, and I remember being young, he was good. I mean, he, you know, he could throw it. And so I have a love for baseball. I don't know if I did it, so he'd love him. I really genuinely loved baseball. I love being funny around people and, and trying to make them laugh. It was certainly, th- those two things are things that I saw from my dad at early on and whether I practiced them or they were developed, or even if that was something I did for my dad's acceptance, it could have been some of that, but I certainly see the corollaries. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I don't know. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, we're working in a school environment now for gosh, you know, going on 15, 16 something years, you know, in my role as in various roles I've had in school, I've never tried to be like, be the child's parent at all, my student's parent, but no matter how I try to be cool or relatable, you know, they're always still looking for approval from their parents, you know, and I just, no matter how jacked up their dad was or their mom was, they were still just yearning for that approval or that connection. It's just fascinating how like my wife, her music taste is so much patterned after her dad. And then, you know, some of my health bents and in with my dad, when he was the head of the chamber of commerce in new Orleans, which is how he relates to people and how he asks great questions. And he's such a great listener. And that could be DNA gene, you know, genetics or just, I don't know, find a connection with your, your parent. Now you're obviously a father for the audience out there. You have three daughters. If you could kind of a general overview, what has maybe been your greatest challenge overall as a father? And again, I'm making notes for myself too. You know, if there's anything that I can, you know, glean from this, you did say presence, you know, about your father to you, baseball games, but what do you feel like your greatest challenge has been or continues to be as a dad? Yeah, this is the section, right? Like, don't do these things. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm writing down. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I saw a video in shirts this morning of uh, two sweet friends, probably in their 20s, how they connected years ago. And one was a teacher mm-hmm. who was her student. And the teacher had, in a period of about a year, lost her daddy to cancer. Now that was terminal. And then her little brother also to cancer all in the same year. Mm. And when both those realities hit, this is the climax of the video, it's really the climax of the service. And she said, I just faced this point where I had this picture of what it was going to be like, and then it wasn't. And so like that new reality, it was pretty heavy. I think I have a lot of things I talked about. I haven't done well, that's for sure. And, <laughs> and there are a lot of things I could talk about. My wife has done well, that's for sure. I think sometimes you have a picture, at least I did, maybe even to some extent growing up, certainly when you get married, then absolutely when you have that first kid of what it's going to look like with your children and the type of dad that you're going to be. And I think with my daughter, some of those things have definitely come to fruition, but there's been some things that have it, you know, that may, but have it. I think one of those that has not, that has been a struggle is I thought, and my wife did too, that our daughters would come to us more and like lay on the table. Here's a struggle. And that just doesn't happen much. Now, I will tell you, it is sweet that our oldest daughter is in college now. That has kind of blossomed since she got to college. And it's funny because it happens like 1130 at night, you know, or even 11 at night when you're in bed and, and, you know, the plane's landing and, but she's coming in to, you know, to wake everybody up on the phone or FaceTime. My wife's like, we're taking it, we're taking it, we're taking it. We got the call. (laughs) I'm to tell you about everything, you know, like just, just here we go. So that's been sweet, but that hasn't happened like, Hey, mom and dad, here's what we're going to. That has not happened much. Hmm. I think bringing in your New York Times article about some of those struggles with men, with fathers, the single parent home, perhaps a home where dad is not there. And I think you touched on it. I didn't really answer it. Do I see some of that? Of course, I see some of that. Struggles inevitable. I mean, for certain. It's just that some families can hide it better than others, but you have a family and you have people that live together. There's clearly going to be struggle. And I think that one of the things that maybe has changed throughout the generations is that, you know, when we were kids of the 80s, Gen X, you basically, as a boy, you rode your bike, 
or you're outside throwing a football or a ball, or you're inside and throwing the Atari. But there was a lot of, even in the Atari, there, there was still interaction. You, you remember our parents would be like, get outside, <laughs> you know? But there was still interaction. And I think that today, and we've heard ad nauseum, but in the rise of technology, you could have two kids in Gen Z that are in the same room, 10 feet apart from each other, and they're texting each other, you know, as, as opposed to that face-to-face. So I think that there is a generation that is emerging that they're losing, if they even ever had it the ability to be able to process face-to-face with, okay, I'm going to express, let me talk, let me listen, you know, let's dialogue, let's learn from each other. Even when we disagree, it's, this is a generation that certainly it's like, if you don't think like I think you're the devil and there's a lot that can be learned from, okay, we don't agree, but tell me why you think that. And I want to hear what you've got. And we can still leave it. We don't, and we disagree, but sometimes you can get to two plus two is four, but three plus one is four also. And so there's multiple ways to get to an answer that are different, but it's still the same thing. So anyhow, I would say, yes, that that was something that I thought would be more prevalent that just hasn't been there. But what we've tried to do is to keep it open with anytime you want to, you know, we're here. You can call, you can text, you want mm-hmm. to you come in our rooms. Um, that's one. I'll give you another quick one too. Friends at home. Like we thought we would be the place to, your parents were the play in college were the place that people went to and still to this day are, but that hasn't been as much like we thought it would where kids were just hanging out. We had homecoming for my oldest or my middle daughter last night. And that was really sweet. We had some friends that were here and it's just mm. so fun to just kind of entertain, love on these girls and mm-hmm. hear some of their stories. And that's from, so I would say those did not quite the way to this point I thought it would go, but we're working with what we got. Okay. So let me make sure. So you, you were saying basically you and your wife were envisioning maybe a little bit more coming to you for problems or, or getting advice, but in, is that what you're saying? That hasn't really happened as much. Yeah. Okay. One for sure. One thing for sure. Okay. Yeah. And I'm curious because, right, you have three children. They're all three, I'm sure. Well, I think I kind of know since I know them, but but they're not the same. They're completely different, right? So one may come to you and spill all their guts and one may not, right? But I think, so like as a dad, as a parent, how do you, in a judgment-free environment, lay down the groundwork to hopefully that your child will say, you know, you can come to me for anything, right? But you got to establish that trust, right? Does that make sense? And how did y'all do that? Or did you do that at a young age for them to, to hopefully lay down the groundwork where they would come yeah. to Yeah. Well, I think we did, but it didn't produce much. So maybe wow. we didn't okay. do it as much as we, as we thought we did. But yeah. I will tell you though, when it does happen that like in retrospect, that's how I would answer. I think we did a pretty fair job. Look, it hasn't yielded a lot, but I will tell you that what we do now, anytime it does happen where they do come and say, can we talk? We say, we love that. Like this is great. We are so honored that you told us that. Yeah. The different ages, our college student, we're the, her consultant now from a parent standpoint. That's the role. So to tell her, and you know, here's what you've got to do. That doesn't really bode well with her. She's strong-willed, firstborn, type A, strong leader. But with her, we're like, we're so glad that you let us in on this. And well, this is a tough one you might be in, or you're doing so well. We're so proud of you. And it looks like you might have a couple of angles here, but this was great. Thank you for letting us in, you know? And then our middle one, high school senior, 
it's taking on that type of role. Our eighth grader, it's a little bit more of kind of the, you know, we're her coach now more so we can be a little bit more firm, but we do accentuate when it happens, man, we really accentuate like, that was great. And if you ever want to do this again, we would love it. We're going to be praying for you and, and asking down the road how that situation is going, that we're just so honored you told us. Yeah. And obviously, you know, in every stage, as a parent, you play on different roles, I'm sure, right? When they're young, they're more of a the police person and like, we don't do this, we don't do that because you want to keep them safe and survive. And then when they get to middle school, you're more, yeah, you just go in different phases so with your oldest. If that's what it sounds like. You're just in a different phase with her. You know, she's, oh, in a, she's an independent, she's an adult, you know, totally. so now you're not, you're just as you just said, kind of a counselor, you're just there. But it's funny, we were talking to some a couple friend of ours and the, the wife was sharing that their daughters were doing all these little white little lies. Well, the reason they're doing all these white little lies is because they were nervous that if they really shared what their struggles were, that the parents were going to be all over them. And the parents were like, oh my gosh, like, uh, no, you know, come to us. Like you can come to us for anything. Mm-hmm. So it was, in a weird way, the child was doing the lies more because of the fear of what she perceived would be quote backlash when the parents like not at all what have we done to for her to think that so i thought that was kind of an interesting perspective but because i, I want to jump into maybe kind of what you're seeing across the landscape on some of those percentages that we started off the show with or some of the, the nuggets but let's do this i want to pivot a little bit what would you tell yourself now that you've gone through what 21 years of parenting yeah 20 in in 10 days okay so what you know now what would you tell yourself back then right before your oldest was born it may maybe you've already addressed some of that but what would you tell yourself man i think i just look back and and this is really true i mean like every good thing that's happened to our kids it i mean this is not being pastoral it really is true god did it i think that that scripture is true of, you know, you raise your way, your kids up in the way of the Lord. And when they get old, they won't depart from it. And there were so many times where I blew it and, you know, I would get angry, especially mm-hmm. our first and our, our, my oldest and my youngest felt like to get their attention, I would have to raise my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think that worked. And a lot of times it did not work, but I look back on some things in areas that I blew it. Like when they went to sleep at night, it's still true. Like God is God of their lives and he was parenting them and is parenting them when they sleep and in overtime, when they get up and go to school. And when I I drop them off at school, he's with them. And that's the one thing that above everything else we tried to commit to and still do that this is going to be a home where God was honored. Nobody would be perfect. And we're pastors, so we have expectations, but perfection is not one of them. And we're not perfect, and we're not expecting y'all to be perfect. And and we have a church where where that's a value from our pastor on down is led. And so we're not perfect. But if I could go back, I think I would say that I started out like that, and that's the greatest thing that we did do. It's just, we're going to do everything we could to just commit these kids to the Lord. I wouldn't say I was a prayer warrior for them. Sometimes we're better than others. I made a lot of mistakes that I had some regrets, mm-hmm. but we did everything we could and still doing it and raising them up the way of the Lord. And that's when I look in the rearview mirror and just see that God did so many incredible things that my wife and I could have never would ever have been able to do. Mm-hmm. So I would tell myself, don't. Don't lead with anything else. Stay with that. Keep God number one, and God's going to take care of all of it. That's what I would reassure myself of that. I've seen it now because I've lived it, that it it wasn't just theory. It's true. Mm. That's good. Well, thanks for that part, because I think that's interesting just to say, you know, as you kind of 
you're on this kind of side of it, but it sounds like you're pretty consistent, just committing your, the kids and your family to, to God. So Steve, with that being said, not only to you, but like just overall and obviously what you do, what you see on a day-to-day basis as you're working with families and in your ministry, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing dads, specifically dads today? I know that's a lot to swallow, but yeah, what do you see? Is there, is there a common theme if you could sum it up? From a faith standpoint, following Christ standpoint, nothing has changed. It's the same. And that is back to the last response that I shared. I think that dads have so many pressures on us to provide, to be great in the office, in the boardroom, to say no to the things of this world that would really pull on us, uh, to provide, but not in a way that we lose sight of you know what our priorities are, to be available for our kids. To do that in a way, I think that is not, we're going to bank everything on our kid being a first round draft pick, you know, Major League Baseball or the NFL, not in excess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the greatest struggle. I mean, I think it's to get a dad off of his first love, which is relationship with Christ. And if that happens, when a dad gets off, everything becomes blurred. I mean, this is true for my life. It's true in everybody's life. Things get blurry. We start making mountains out of molehills things that would not maybe tempt us become very tempting. And so I think that that can pan itself out into, I see a lot of dads that are phenomenal leaders in the workforce and their jobs, but they're really bad in their marriages and at home. We see that common and it's really, they don't know what to do. They just don't know what to do. Sometimes you see it like, I'm going to just outsource this to the church or the youth group or whatever. But the fact of the matter is most dads, I know that if we're passionate about something, We'll conquer it. You know, like you said, your dad with running back in the day to Galveston, you know, bring that marathon. Like if we're passionate, we'll do it. So I think that when you can see a dad that goes, hey, look, is it possible to be all that I can be with my marriage as a dad in the workforce with my friends? Like, is it possible, man, to lead in all of those in a Christ honoring way, which it is. And when they see that, and just like this podcast that you're doing, when, man, they're not isolated, dads are not disconnected, but we've got men that are speaking into us because they desire the best in us. Man, that's where you see dads that are not perfect, but you see they're excelling. And so it goes back to, I think, that first priority, our first love of just seeking relationship with Christ, seeking Him first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you're right. I mean, that's where it all starts. And, you know, I think some of those numbers that I said at the beginning, how, you know, a lot of men are just feeling lonely, but we can't do this alone. And so my hope is that with visiting with you and, and so anybody that's out there listening to know that there is hope and that we, uh, we're we not doing this alone uh, and just encourage those uh, out there that we really do need each other and that obviously our first our first love is, is Christ. Yes, as far as, you know, some of the greatest challenges that, you know, men maybe getting off their first love that you were kind of talking about. Is that fair? And just, if you don't really have that first love as, you know, hopefully that those know that faith in Christ and to keep your eyes on him because everything else kind of will go off the rails, if you will. Did I sum that okay? Or or what would you revisit? I thought I said it a lot better. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Amen, yeah. brother. Amen. Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> you did a great job. 
And yeah, I think uh, back to theory, it's not just theory. I can speak it where not as a dad, but where I vividly remember in high school, 14, 15, 16 years old, walking without, man, Christ being the priority of my life. And I just felt so limited. But I think I said it earlier, I don't know if I use this term, but my family was a lot of money, but bankrupt spiritually on the inside, up and out. But when that all changed in that 1988, things certainly were not perfect, but there's just, there's a, I think there's just a recalibration, like going God's way. It's a depth of of power and place and things that I could never do on my own. It's a depth that I just didn't have. And so, especially in the rearview mirror, a lot of times we used to like, man, even from a pastoral standpoint, preaching or teaching people, man, there's been multiple times where I walk off the platform and just been like, my gosh, I mean, the whole goal here is just people don't leave the church going, I'm never going to do Christianity anymore. You feel like that, that one, man, we, we shank that one, you know, in the water. And then you have somebody comes up to you and goes, man, you have no idea how God spoke spoke to me through you. And so that back to there's something that's beyond us that God can do in and through our lives when when there is a proper recognition of, man, my place in the whole scheme of things. I need God. I need him to raise my family, my kids. I need him in my marriage. I need him in the areas in my life that are weak. I need him in the areas of my life that I feel like he's gifted me in. And so, yeah, I think you summarize that well. Well, okay. I was feeling a little insecure about that, uh, but thanks for, for for summarizing that. But I think too, you know, the thing that scares me is in that same article, you know, said that more men are leading haphazard and lonely lives, that roughly 15% of men say they have no close friends. And that's up from 3% in 1990. And that one in five fathers doesn't live with his children. So more since in 2014, more young men were living with their parents than with a wife or a partner. So I guess the point being is, you know, I'm nervous in a sense of loneliness, despair, or if there's a feeling for any dads out there that are listening. Now, granted, I'm new on my journey. You know, I'm not there yet to some degree, but to say that you're not alone. And if you feel like you've completely screwed up or something, that there's always there's a second chance to not give up on yourself and to find fellowship, to find a band of brothers to walk together with you through this. I think it's hard for guys to really open up and be vulnerable. And whether that's, you you kind of mentioned your dad of that 50s generation of not really showing your emotions and being kind of thick skinned. But I remember um, in Waco, right before I moved to Houston, there was a really well-established small group of men. And uh, I was kind of late to the group. They were really well-versed, you know, had been together. But a guy shared his struggles with pornography and nobody winced nobody you know was like what but for this guy to be so open and to, to be able to share that he felt very safe and that he can open up with that and not feel judged so to me that was huge you know and i was like that's the sweet spot is when you know a guy can really just share and not feel that he's going to feel condemned or you know judged right so i think you're right and you know i think if there's guys listening they're like well i don't really have that and maybe you don't have it because you're not uh, walking and connected with guys like this, that just where, where you could have a conversation like this, or maybe you do have guys in your life, but it's this type of conversation isn't happening. Maybe it's, it's quoting movies or fun times about, or business, whatever. Football stats or football yeah. stats. Yeah. Of the Cowboys dominating the saints. I mean, that's reality. 30 years ago. The fact, but the fact of the matter is, this is true. If that's you, you have to hit a home run of the vulnerability thing, like at the first at bat. Right. That's honestly, that's just weird. 
to right. go from nothing to, hey, can I tell you my deepest dark, right? Well, that's not just weird for the, for the guy that's sharing it. It's, it's weird for the guy that's receiving it. If that's not the norm. What it does take, what is more practical is you think through the people in your life, the guys that you like, dads that you like, even older and younger, right? Because it's really cool to have somebody that's been in our lives that has been where we have been, and but they're down the road a little bit, but then the opposite. Now we're 50. So we're that guy. We're the guys that are coming up after us. But to think through who are those guys? And you're right, Ross, I believe 100%. It's never too late to get back in the game. And how do you start that? Not trying to hit home run, but let's just, right. let's, let's just get in the batter's box so you can make contact. And that contact is, I'll text this guy. It's taking a risk. It's it is being a little vulnerable. Have we haven't talked in forever, but man, I was just thinking about you. Tell me how you're doing. Making a phone call. Hey, could we go have lunch? It'd be lo- it'd be great to connect. How's your family? And that's how it starts. Doing that again, and then doing that again, and doing that again, and yeah. doing, and you're really good at that, Ross. You're really good at that. And what that does is that then we can relate. All of us can relate to being younger, being a part of a team, or in the business world, part of a team. We need each other. Well, that should translate in our lives to being husbands, to being dads. We need those guys in our life that part of that team, we will laugh at movie stuff. We will talk about football stats, but every now and then we do need to get a single. We do need maybe get a double and allow men to say to me, as happens, I have some guys that do. I think you're missing this one here. I think you could go back and do this better. Like, because I can't really get that just me. Yeah. I need. I get it the best when it's on a team. You know, bring me things that I'm not seeing, whatever that would be. Mm-hmm. Not just negative. Hey, you could have done that better, but it's like, that's what we were made for. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because you're right. You don't have to hit a home run on the first meeting or whatever. That is weird. That would be odd. That's socially awkward. You're not self-aware. You know, and I want to challenge whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's somebody listening out there. It does take somebody to initiate. Um, and if you are somebody who is feeling lonely, just please, you know, text somebody, reach out to somebody. Hey, I'm thinking about you. And I think sometimes guys, we relate, we connect over common interest. So if you like the mountain bike, go with your mountain bike buddies. Just, and I think too, to generalize, guys tend to open up by doing something shared activity together, not sit around over a cup of coffee and like, Hey, Steve, seriously, you know, how are your, how are your feelings? You know, it's, it's more like through the act of throwing the football with your kid. It's through the act of like drawing with the child beside you, or, you know, when you and our good buddy went up to go dove hunt up in Arkansas, it's, it's just being together. And sometimes it's like, Hey, you know, Steve, we took a road trip to new Orleans. Well, maybe we didn't say five words to each other, but if somebody asks us, Hey, how was your trip? It was awesome. Well, you didn't say anything. Yeah, so what? It's just being in the presence, too, of somebody. Um, I think for guys, that's the beauty, too, is just being with somebody. So anyway, so I'm glad you brought that up. And, and the last thing, too, I'll share before we sign off is actually today. I want to go a little biblical, but, you know, in Romans 4, 16, it says, this is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and His way and then simply embracing Him and what He does. That's it. Simply trusting God him and his way. God's promise arrives as a, it's a pure gift. And that's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. So it's for those who follow, quote, all the rules, who do all the thing, right things, or those who have never, ever even heard of him. It's a gift. And so, you know, I just want to end it on that. It really is just trusting him. What does the Lord's prayer say? Give us this day, you know, not tomorrow, not a week from, you know, but this day. My prayer for everybody listening and and for you, Steve, is just, you know, day by day, you're not in this alone. Reach out to somebody. You'll be that somebody. Anyway, 
Thank you, Steve. Awesome, Ross. Thank you, man. I'm grateful for you and I'm grateful for you doing this. Oh, it's fun. I learned a lot today, man. I've learned a lot. It's fun. To be honest, you are truly like a brother and uh, love you like a brother and and thankful for you and who who you are to your wife and kids. Um, And it's it's awesome journeying through life with you. And I'm glad that we have had this opportunity. So thanks for bear crawling with me. I love it, man. We will have to do it again. Absolutely, Steve. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From our brother C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending.